0: International football is rubbish. It's been scientifically proven, has it not?
1: Uh, yeah, except for during major international tournaments where there wouldn't be football or otherwise, when it is brilliant.
0: Yeah, and, and if you don't believe my thesis about international
1: football being rubbish, just check out England versus Ukraine. Rubbish. Oh, it did not live up to the last England versus Ukraine, which was one of the highlights of the Euro 2012 tournament. England versus Ukraine was a truly dismal affair. And what Roy Hodgson is doing, thinking that Lampard and... I can't believe... I cannot believe I'm saying this. I can't believe I'm talking about an England manager in 2012 playing Lampard and Gerrard together. It's just unbelievable.
0: Well, we'll get, we'll get into International Week, shall we? But quick review of the Southampton game. I know it seems like donkeys years ago, doesn't it?
1: Because, well, it, it is, really. But an, an amazing game. I was thinking about this. I have no interest whatsoever in doing a quick review of the Southampton game. Even though it was a long time ago, I think we should give it the full Rank cast treatment. Because we obviously didn't talk about it last week because of the international break. But what an extraordinary game that was. Um, at least Worsley, very timely with the return of the thick of it to our television screens describing our midfield and defence as an omni-shambles. What did you make of it, Ed?
0: Yeah, well, I thought the left hand wasn't talking to the right hand basically. So and midfield was giving no protection to the back four at all. Back four was weakened with injuries and other disruptions and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, odd goalkeeper change and, and going forward. Okay, United scored the goals. So you kind of expect that against a newly promoted side. Eventually scored the goals, should I say? But yeah, right at the back, terrible through midfield, no protection whatsoever. The shape was just completely, completely wrong. And and Southampton looked like they could pick United off. at will almost and they didn't quite manage to do it and it's not as if they were playing long balls they were just playing sensible football on the break through midfield and and Southampton didn't have very much of the ball because United monopolized possession but but they could have done a lot of damage and and uh, talk about get out of jail free card again this season
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got to talk about that comeback because it was a heck of a thing. A one-man team rang the cry uh, from other fans. Yes, said Man United fans, Paul Scholes is indeed a one-man team. Robin Van Persie managed to get himself a hat-trick after taking one of the least appropriate penalties I've ever seen in my life. Uh, A terrible penalty and just shocking decision-making at 2-1 down oh really terrible now he, he said I don't know what happened I know what happened
0: his ego got the better of him so I mean he'll he'll have learned a very big lesson from that one and and I suppose if, if you're going to fluff a penalty quite like that scoring a hat trick is one way to get round it I, I would hope he'd get an earful for that one too imagine that was Champions League final last minute and and all of that kind of stuff but yet made up for it with with almost the perfect hat trick you know not 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 quite left foot right foot header but but a, a, you know find all round hat trick but at the top of that you said paul skulls he completely changed the game didn't he 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 came on in southampton did what all sides should not do against paul skulls and they stood off him and gave him so much space it was unbelievable
1: yeah it was it was really just just the classic mistake wasn't it and you kind of can't believe that that sides are really still doing that but they are and he came on after about 70 minutes was it something like that something like that yeah. and then yeah and the game was just completely different because everything he did made us look more dangerous and more effective from his first
0: touch for his first touch he he, uh, he played a through ball that uh, completely turned around the Southampton defence it didn't lead to a goal but took about five seconds for Paul Scholes to plant his quality on the game interesting quote from Nick Powell this week he said the most difficult thing about coming to United is the fact that he's been chasing Paul Scholes his shadow for the last four months so I guess that gives us some mindset even when you're Trying to get the ball off him, it's difficult. But it, you know, Southampton players weren't within 10 yards of him. They basically play, paid him way too much respect and he, he completely turned the game around for United. And, and Van, Van Persie does what Van Persie seemingly does best and that's put the ball
1: in the net. Worth pointing out that that winning goal came direct from a nanny corner. That's not something we all thought we'd be hearing said for a little while.
0: No, no, United have turned into Stoke with a set-piece Masters or something like that.
1: But I mean, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, Robin Van Persie playing like a man in terrified fear of the hairdryer after that penalty. Uh, and his hat-trick was fantastic. That third goal was just brilliant technique to, to get the header to work like that from, from an excellent corner from Nani. And and lovely stuff. But, you, you know, to the overall performance from United was absolutely dreadful and, and we had a question I'm sorry I can't remember who it was from, we had a question about whether the performance of Van Persie made the result flattering to United when actually when actually there's terrible defensive problems there, I kind of think in some ways it's more like actually our def- those defensive problems are not going to last because Rio always takes a long time to get back from fitness, Vidic is still not fully fit yet Rio by the second half was already looking a little bit brighter, a little bit better so I, I kind of feel like that, that's not going to be such a problem for such a long time but one of the one of potentially one of the reasons for some of that defensive confusion although it's hard to lay it on this door but we can't talk about that game without talking about it Fergie what's he doing with David De Gea I'll get
0: onto that one quick point though I don't think you can compartmentalise a football side right so I don't think you can say that United uh, defended badly therefore it's the back four's fault and then say well we've got a lot of injuries and disruptions of course that plays into it but I think just the structure of United's side against Southampton was really bad there were times when United was piling forward with six or sometimes seven players and it was like United was chasing an FA Cup tie you know with three minutes into injury time and and that kind of thing and And that was in the first half, right? It it was insane uh, how open United was. And uh, I've got to say, I hope for the sake of United playing good football and attacking football, and the United football we all want to see that uh, there isn't a you know a spanking some time down the road, and and we regress into playing slightly more negative football. That's, that's what happened last season, right? So there's that fear at the back of my mind, and and that fear at the back of my mind is real because United are playing in a way too open system. It's just all wrong, and uh, I've got to say that's not really the back four per se. That is a structural thing, and I hope they get it right. And they've had the international break. A lot of players went off and played, some didn't, and uh, let's hope by the time United play Wigan at the weekend that uh, they've sorted some of that out because I think, you know, come some of the better games and we've got Liverpool coming up in a couple of weeks but that's a nice warm-up for some of the better games. Uh, it will be a real problem for United if, if the team as a whole defends like that. On De Gea, didn't understand it at all. Didn't make any sense to me. I thought he's been in good form this season. Yes, he made a mistake against Fulham but one where he was fouled by the, the forward and his own man uh, and I've uh, got to say I thought that was, that was pretty harsh. You, I, I think... I think I said on the last pod I thought it was about 25% De Gea's fault. If he's going to be dropped for that, that's that's stunning. And Lindegard did didn't do anything hugely wrong in the game, although his distribution is is you know, nowhere near as good as De Gea's. And, and I've got to say this is really worrying because one of the other things that Ferguson said was that ah. De Gea will be back for for the weekend game or something to that effect right so what are we going to have a situation where we're rotating goalkeepers and that produces a cold sweat I think because it, it reminds me of times uh, when Carroll and, and Howard were rotating and of course De Gea and, and Lindegaard are better keepers both of them better than Howard and Carroll but it's still I, I can't imagine this is a good thing.
1: I mean, I was sort of horrified by it, really. I mean, first of all, by the decision, which seemed... I mean, it, it, it genuinely seemed like a completely bizarre decision. But, but by the public commentary of it, so unfergie like in the old days, to say in public that he was kind of punishing a player for making a mistake. That's, that's the thing about Fergie. He doesn't slag off his players in the press, right? But, but to do it, I don't know, unless for some reason he thought De Gea needed bringing down a peg or two which seems very odd management given what his confidence has looked like. Yeah, just just seemed a really strange one to me.
0: One of a couple of strange decisions, the other being how United played during the game. So a few mistakes there, got away with it, got away with it. And, and, and some brilliant goals from, from Van Persie to help United get away with it. So I guess this is a very long-winded way of answering a, that question. Did the score or did the result flatter United? And in a way it did because it could have gone horribly wrong. It didn't, but it could have.
1: So what's wrong with the structure and what needs to happen to fix it then, Ed? Look, you had two
0: players who played, none of which covered. So Carrick had a poor game by his standards and and uh, I think we've said many times we're both Carrick fans and then and then cleverly was the you know in theory the more attacking of the players and, and neither of those them played tight enough together, didn't play deep enough at times and didn't link the defence and the midfield and, and it just didn't seem very joined up and, and then you've got the problem in the wide areas where we didn't get support in wide areas either and it, it caused you know a bit of a problem with the fullbacks. So I I mean there's a lot of things there. You could probably point to five different things some of it is personnel though because what you'd really wanted to have done in that game is brought on someone who would sit and press and and win the ball back and I'm not saying that United need to have a player who kicks someone all the time in some games that would have it does it would really help right and the balance of the squad isn't quite right and it's something United is just going to have to deal with if Carrick is out at any stage this season it's going to be even worse because there's no other player in the United squad that's going to do that job and and you know that's even taking into account that Darren Fletcher may come back I mean I think he's probably still a long way off but he may do and he's he, he, even he is a, like a combative energetic player is an all-rounder he's not the kind of player who's going to sit there and, and win a tactical game in midfield
1: It's very interesting the Carrick point because I, I watched the game and thought he's having a poor game here but his attacking stats his stats in possession are stunning you know 115 Mm -hmm. passes of 126 attempted so 91% pass completion I mean those are Javi-esque stats they really are but it's, it's United all over this season but,
0: but when Southampton were breaking they went straight through United's midfield and they weren't playing it long. No
1: that's what I was going to go on to say that, that Carrick had a poor game because he had nowhere near his usual defensive stats which is like loads of interceptions and you know not so much tackles but certainly blocks and interceptions he's always kind of got big numbers in that but the fact that he hasn't got numbers in that in this game and his attacking statistics were so good really does make you think yeah he just wasn't doing that job defensively and you You can only think that's probably because he hasn't been assigned to do that job defensively in the same way
0: i mean one of the things about defending of course is much harder to analyze through statistics how how do you quantify good positioning and how do you quantify good positioning across multiple variables i.e multiple players it's very very difficult and and that's one of those subjective things that you can't prove or disprove i think and and I, i just think subjectively united defended very poorly through midfield
1: Oh yeah I completely agree And you know That's not massive shock when, when you look at the personnel Because if you count Kagawa Then that's a midfield Of cleverly Carrick and Kagawa And Kagawa's going forward The whole time He's not really there To be a defensive midfielder
0: Although he played way deeper Than in his previous two games Right? Way way deeper I mean he basically played As a midfielder Which, which blunted some of his Attacking instincts I thought
1: Yeah absolutely But but certainly You know none of his instincts Are to be that kind of Deep lying midfielder No right And you know cleverly Again a pretty effective game Going forward forward 50 50 of 53 passes completed you know you really cannot complain about that only 13 of those in the attacking third though so again cleverly playing very deep and not doing much defensive work yeah carrick and cleverly a, a very good combination when you want to keep the ball but not necessarily such a good combination when you're trying to defend so yeah i just want to say one we'll, we'll ask you one more thing about the de Gea situation i mean how serious does that how how serious do you worry about that i mean do, do you really think fergie's going to actually properly mess about with rotation or this will be a bit of a warning shot across De Gea's bowels and, and he won't mess about for the rest of the season warning shot for what though that's that's what i
0: couldn't figure out so no i, th- I think it's a rotation thing and we'll, well of course we'll find out right this is one of those things we'll definitely find out and, and i i have to say i had, had assumed that since de gea started the season he would probably play 75 to 80 percent of games and and Lindegard would come in if there was an injury or a massive loss of form and and play some of the the games in europe and the the cup competitions and that kind of stuff maybe that's not going to be the case maybe we'll have more closer to 50 50 two my two concerns are one will we get to a situation where we screw with the hare's head and all that confidence that he'd gained from sort of February onwards is lost and wouldn't that be a massive shame because we've got a, a hugely talented goalkeeper there hugely hugely talented and even if he's that goalkeeper that played from February to the end of the season we've got one of the best keepers in the Premier League already and he's what 22 or something right so why mess with that and why take that risk and, and then the, the second concern really is, is kind of related to that because if Lindegaard plays more often I just don't think he's as good I don't think he's a bad keeper by any means but I don't think he's as good would he have for example Made the save that the Hare did at Sanford Bridge to pluck that you know, top corner-bound free kick out of the air. I'm not sure that he would. Will he be able to set up attacks in the same way? Will he make a mistake with his feet at some point and give the ball away and it, it creates a, a chance for the opposition to attack when they wouldn't have done otherwise? All these things kind of factor into it. To it, he's not a bad keeper. He's a, he's a very, he's a very good keeper, in fact. But but I don't think he has anywhere near the potential to be of the Gea's class. Just my opinion, of course, but, but I guess those two things
1: worry me. Well, the Lindergaard question, it's, the, it's kind of the question I used to ask about John O'Shea to random people, which is what, what level of side would Lindergaard be a definite first choice selection for you know is it their kind of Champions League United and Arsenal and City and Chelsea or is it UEFA Cup chasing sides or is it you know relegation battlers or comfortable mid table sides like Liverpool What what what's Lindergaard's natural level and it doesn't like leap out at you that he's a Champions League quality goalkeeper in the way that De Gea does no, I agree with
0: you. I, I agree with you. I, and I, I thought basically he was brought in as a backup. And yeah. and United, I guess United had a plan all along to get De Gea. When we talked about it at the time, I, I said it might help her assess United's level of ambition in the transfer market. Terrible word at the time, but we we're talking two summers ago. It's good that United brought in the two keepers. It's bad if we end up messing with them because of some rotation policy but hey who, who are we to question fergie maybe he's got a plan for this one and he'll he'll get it right and he won't
1: screw with them but it's it's just a worry that's all yeah, absolutely. Uh, van Persie, well on his way to cult status at Manchester United with a turnaround like that. Grumpy manager making intractable decisions with his goalkeepers and defenders, and relying on Robin van Persie for all our goals. Slightly worrying signs that we might be turning into Arsenal there, but but hopefully we're not. And and Van Persie's lovely hat trick will be will be the start of things to come, but not immediately because, as Arsenal fans will know only too well, there was an international break, and of course. Van come back injured
0: well it seems like it's not too bad and and he was taken off as a precaution it's something like a dead leg something like that not a muscle problem so i i was using google translate furiously like uh, i suspect many united fans to try and find some accurate information on some dutch a website so i was reading the minute by minute blogs on one of the dutch sports sites in order to work it out and they were saying muscle injury but it doesn't look like it is which is very good news unfortunately it looks like shinji kagawa has come back with a back injury although he said today it's not too serious so we'll find out whether he's okay for the weekend so uh, he played against the uae but missed the game with iraq and percy played two games for holland against turkey and scored and uh, against hungary and was pulled off at half time uh, nanny played against azerbaijan but missed a game before that so it looks like he's all right as well and and ever actually played twice for france this week which is a surprise because it seemed like gail caliche had taken the number one spot but um, ever has deposed the city player and played against finland and belarus and so you know quite a lot of players playing this week for united away on international duty
1: yeah and of course michael carrick back in the england set up, but not in the england team because no, nope, no no way to end that sentence came on as a sub,
0: didn't he, against uh, Moldova, but, but didn't play against Ukraine. And
1: I mean, obviously,
0: Lampard and Gerrard has been the finest international midfield pairing uh, of any country over the last 10 years. Obviously, because England's won all these... Inter- oh, no, no, wait a minute. No, no, England hasn't. No, yeah, can't work it out either.
1: It's not quite as depressing as the England band, but it's pretty close. game against Ukraine, uh, Welbs came on and, and really turned that round. He should have scored, though. And uh, T-Klevs with... A miss for the ages...
0: Teglevs didn't have his shooting boots on. Interesting one, because he actually had a, a decent game, I thought. I didn't, I, you know, he was involved in everything. He had a very good game against Moldova. I thought he had a decent game. as good as anyone in the midfield against Ukraine, but his shooting boots were definitely not on. I mean, he got in the positions, didn't he? So, hit the post with one at the near post and missed from about three yards out. And, and one paper ranked him as a four out of ten. And then the comment underneath made me laugh. Uh, was largely responsible for England's disappointing performance. I was like, no, clear, ridiculous, ridiculous. And, and uh, I uh, mentioned on Twitter last night that maybe England fans have got a new scapegoat and I just left that as an open question. Maybe, maybe. I, it's, I thought it was, he had a bit of a, bad luck. If, if he'd scored that goal, he'd have, he'd have got a goal in an England win and everyone would be saying a pretty decent performance again and, and we'd be lauding him, uh, as was the case against Moldova on Friday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It' worth pointing out though that that miss from when Defoe set him up is one of the worst misses of all time. Just, yes. Just, I mean, I, I, I think probably he was surprised that uh, Defoe would put the ball across to him, but he just like really did pass it into. He just used his foot to put the ball in the one single place where it wouldn't be a goal, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, the goalkeeper was in a deck chair on the post having a fag, you know, and and cleverly had about eighty seven yards worth of goal to fire at and and managed to pass it back to the
1: goalkeeper. It, it, it's a fascinating season, but for T clubs, but it's, it's a good job that he got through the international break without getting injured because we really need him, don't we? You know, especially with Kagawa out.
0: Well, yeah, we do. Anderson seems completely out of
1: favour, and yeah, we'll see whether Kagawa is actually injured
0: or not. And and there aren't an awful lot of options in central midfield. The, the contrast, interesting, isn't it? Because he, he plays sort of in a midfield two, I suppose, for United with Kagawa ahead, and and he's been playing in Kagawa's position for England and, and done very well. Different player in that position, but he also played number 10 for uh, great britain through the olympic tournament as well so he he can certainly do it i thought sometimes actually against ukraine he was too far forward and he ended up playing with his back to goal that is definitely not cleverly's position
1: no absolutely um i think probably since we last spoke we found out the extent of how bad rooney's injury was as well he's out for a good while with a of that that serious cut isn't he he's gonna be a few months and he said it was millimeters away from ending his career yeah well not a few months few
0: weeks he didn't say that actually he said millimetres away from an artery that doesn't mean the end of a career they'd, they'd have had to stitch the artery up and maybe there'd been a bit more blood but I think the Daily Mail was taking some liberties with that headline at no point at no point did anyone say his career would have been definitely over if it had severed that artery I mean he might have died on the pitch I suppose so yes the career would definitely be over but but John O'Shea got enough games and, and he was barely
1: alive harsh very 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 harsh good old Shazy. so the Fresh Prince of Long Sight came on and changed the game for England he, he did Missed that one chance but he won the penalty and just made England look much more interesting basically because he's that sort of player he's a, he's a player with he just makes teams look good it's it's nice to watch Danny Welbeck he he makes stuff happen doesn't
0: he Welbeck he, he really does and yeah his finishing is not always brilliant he should have scored hit the post but there's definitely stuff happening around him took a bit of a dive thought just you know putting it out there he took a little bit of a dive maybe taking a few lessons off Ashley Young there and uh, definitely not a penalty that that one won the second one fair and square
1: a bit of a dive is very generous. That was Greg Luganis-esque. Or I guess uh, for our younger listeners, Tom Daly-esque. Isn't yeah. it sad that like Greg Luganis is no longer our the world's go-to diver reference? So what else do we need to say about the international break? It was it's a stupid it's the stupidest of all international breaks. The season's just getting up and running, you're all starting to get back into football and then everything stops, the wheels come off. The stupid, stupid, terrible, unbelievably bad England band polish their instruments and head out for a night on the town playing nationalistic nonsense.
0: Ter- terrible, oh, terrible! And there was a lot of hate on Twitter, well, rightly so. I- I'm not one for hate all the time, but where it's justified, and I think the England band is justified. Oh, one thing I've got to say: uh, Robbie Brady made his debut for Ireland and scored against. I think they played Oman at Craven Cottage. You know, random, random selection for a friendly there and venue, but well done, Robbie braid
1: yeah it's a funny it's a funny thing that isn't it when you get these youngsters that get selected for the national side joshua king as well yeah play for norway so there you go another another
0: youngster playing for his country uh, and united reserves or under 21 side we should say these days
1: uh, yeah could you explain that to me because i don't understand what's going on so so basically the reserve side
0: was basically uh, an under 21 side anyway M- most clubs were playing uh, youngsters and and so they've just rejigged the rules a little bit and and the the youth set up uh, throughout the country so um it's now under twenty one sides, although there there's licence to play a, a set number of overage players which which United have done on quite a few occasions. Fletcher and, and Bootner have, have played recently. And and then the Academy side's become an under eighteen side, which effectively they were anyway. So it's not massive radical change or anything, but it's it's a nationwide restructuring of all comes from this elite performance development plan um where they looked at the whole structure of youth football and and, uh, and that's part of that process,
1: not exactly the the same plan but part of that process interesting stuff so w- whilst the international break was on Rooney took the chance to grab some headlines to sell a few copies of his incredibly well-written autobiography not not his not his first autobiography at the age of 20 whatever he is but it's the second volume of the Rooney memoirs uh, stunning stuff yeah it's, it's written in one of these weird
0: tenses that's the present tense but talking about the past and and sometimes in the same sentence there are two and sometimes three tenses in one sentence i have to say it's it's uh shockingly <laughs> written and it's shockingly written and it was actually written by a professional ghostwriter as well uh, we are led to believe so weird this one though got, got to me a little bit I, I mean i know players have contractual commitments to go and flog their wares and and all of that so he did a whole round of media interviews and of course he was going to be asked about the the contract and Rooney gate or October gate or whatever we're calling it and where he he said United had no ambition and of course he was going to give a stock answer which is I I want to stay and play for this club and it was a terrible mistake and all of that but I'd say I find it difficult to believe Rooney's contrition and his sort of semi-apology and and his promises of wanting to stay at United for life when he's flogging a book I, I can't square the two things
1: yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a very odd one and the, just we're just all communally basically acting like Rooney's lying when he says he wants to stay at the club forever now. That's just the kind of default assumption is that that's not true. He doesn't have any particularly strong affection for the club, I mean he probably has some relationship with the club, he's been there such a long time but it's not like some sort of eternal lifelong bond which was temporarily slightly fractured but really then forged back in the fires of love and passion and all that kind of stuff and Ooh, he'll uh, be united forever, well yes quite
0: Could could we expect any more really? I mean he left his boyhood club once the first big opportunity came along so uh, it's, it's no surprise and, and he is well known, it's well known now that he, he was flirting with moving to Manchester the city and if united hadn't come up with a big pay offer he may well have pushed that one through so uh, the rest of it I, I just find a bit um disingenuous basically and I, as long as he scores the goals gets himself fit and and stops smoking and drinking and coming back from pre-season seven pounds overweight or whatever it, it was then that's fine you know he's a united player and, and as long as we frame it all within the parameters of it's a business for him he's not a fan then then we'll all be all right and we won't get too ir- irate about it
1: yeah absolutely uh seems very reasonable not too much super interesting in the excerpts that were published in the papers a fight with Roy Keane over the television remote control when X Factor was on and Keane wanted to watch the rugby and don't think I can remember anything else really
0: no it's, no it's really it's not very interesting so yeah he he comes back from the summer overweight he he made a terrible mistake he he gets on with there's stuff some stuff about England and getting on with Ashley Cole and uh, you know whatever yeah so boring it's unbelievably boring another dr- Drama and uh, an ex-United player, Ronaldo. Apparently he's terribly depressed. Poor Ronaldo, because he only earns 12 million euros a year.
1: Well, this is a rather odd story, this, because th- th- that's been, there's been a lot of talk that he's somehow sad because of his financial state at the club. But didn't this all happen on the anniversary of his father's death? Yeah, but he said it's was professional. Yeah, but, I mean, the talk is that he had asked for a moment's silence for his father before the match and had been turned down, which is understandable because it's, you know, an odd personal-professional crossover. So, I don't know, it just, it just seems like weird timing, even if it is somehow just a professional matter. It's definitely going to be influenced by the fact that he, he lost his father at such a young age, to such a in such a horrible way. That's bound to leave its scars, isn't it?
0: Yeah, m- maybe. I, I have to say, he said it's not that, and it's a professional matter. And I, I suspect it's Ronaldo's ego being stroked and needing to be stroked. And uh, of course, I'm guessing, like everyone else, really, because he he won't fill in the blanks and likes to leave it somewhat cryptic. But I, I don't think he need, he doesn't need more money. But he's not even nearly the best played player on the planet. You know, he's. I don't think he's even in top 10 now because all these players who head off to China and and the Middle East and and Russia and and so on so for the player who's probably the second best player in the world he's he's not being paid in accordance to that and and that's probably irking him that's just a guess and, and I, but I thought it was interesting that immediately after that the piece in the paper saying ferguson has told the Glazers that he must bring ronaldo back at any cost and i was like at any cost geez um, do the sums on this one and it's astronomical even if you suppose that united could monetize it commercially in some way
1: it's glazernomical. yeah i mean talking about monetizing it commercially can you imagine given the commerciality of the van Persie signing how sickeningly often you would be emailed with just pictures of ronaldo smiling at you in a united shirt if you if he came home he, he's he's not going to come back is he no they can't do it yeah i mean so so one
0: of the other problems in in spain is they changed the tax laws right so the beckham law is no longer in effect for new contracts it's, it's grandfathered in for current contracts so. Ronaldo is paying at most about 23% tax and it's probably a lot less because of tax avoidance schemes and offshore accounts and and all of that. So you'd put it about nine and a bit million euros net if he was paying the full whack of tax. It's probably only pays about a million, million and a half euros tax. So turn that over to England and the the aggregate tax, which will be 50 and a bit for the higher rate payers. And United would have to be paying up 250,000 and more growths a week uh, just as his basic salary uh, plus then the image rights and the bonuses and so on so it's uh, it's significantly ahead of anything else United pay and then there's the fee which would be what you know at least 80 million plus the rest and he scored 150 goals in 150 games so it's uh, it's not as if it will have gone down so
1: what you're saying is we're not getting him back no it's a shame isn't it because if we did get him back we'd be the best side in Europe again probably yes it's, it's incredible really to think of the power of Ronaldo
0: then we could forget about all this worry about defensive systems because we, we just say look you're not going to score five goals every game if someone scores six then they deserve to the win <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely don't mention team scoring six against us said never ideal so, Sir Alex went on holiday to New York in the international break to watch a bit of tennis and tap up Pep Guardiola for the replacing him job. Is that, That's about yeah. the size of it, right?
0: I, I somehow doubt it, but um, yes, of course, you know, knowledge that Fergie was going to New York and everyone thought, oh, who else is in New York? Hmm. Guardiola's having a, a year out and, and is enjoying the, uh, the nightlife of the West Village, I believe. So, very nice part of New York, if for any of you New Yorkers. Uh, I suspect he just went over to Hobn, obby it with uh some fellow scots and andy murray won the u.s open and then sean connery was there and, and he, he just liked acting like royalty for a bit in new york and fair, fair play in, interesting though that he missed a couple of friendlies in europe this season because so the reports go he's had a few health problems had a couple of serious nosebleeds and he's been advised not to do a lot of traveling if he doesn't need to right so so united obviously champions league and stuff like that he will travel and let it be interesting this one if we have a dead rubber at the end of the champions league groups whether he actually travels or not but but he, he made it over to new york and and uh, hung out with murray for a few days
1: if you were like a major international sportsman from scotland and james bond and alex ferguson came to your press conference that's got to help hasn't it that's got to be like oh this is awesome look at this is alex ferguson and james bond doesn't get too much better than that yeah
0: i I don't see any james bonds coming from croatia or serbia or wherever Djokovic is from oops sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's outrageous you just you have literally just started a war ed um, okay let's let's move on and to the serious matter of Twitter questions at Tom Patterson asking which four members of the Manchester United squad would you take with you onto Richard O'Brien's crystal maze? That's, that is a really good question I think I think first of all you've got to have Scalzi because of his vision you know he's always he's got that rotating head on a stick and that, that's you know it's a really important quality on the crystal maze and you need good decision making and you need a few leadership skills so I think maybe you take the boy Giggsy, because he's not really doing it on the pitch anymore but I, I think you'd want him in the Crystal Maze dressing room for sure. He definitely wouldn't take Rooney. You might take Welbeck just because as you said earlier Ed he makes things happen and then I think for me fourth member I'd have to take Rio just for a bit of marshalling. He could marshal the team so Giggs, Skulls, Welbeck and Rio. That's my four.
0: And, and you've lost half the audience who have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very good. Very good. Uh, odd, Odd 1980s and and onwards game show but yeah there you
1: go who, who would be on your on your crystal mace forward no
0: idea and really don't care either what i would like to know is what tom's smoking these days
1: <laughs> listen that is an entirely valid question because you also got to think who's going to be best at getting gold tickets and not silver tickets
0: well i mean if it's if it's a supermarket sweep type thing it'd be anderson that won let's go for through every game show shall we
1: yeah let's let's not <laughs> who would you have from united on your blockbusters team one versus two that's what i want to know oh dear and um, at mark mister says at the england match there was a man with a shrek wazza teddy if you had to make a manchester united player into a stuffed toy who would it be yeah that was bizarre that he was kind of cuddling it as well you know just for comfort yeah well you need some sort of comfort when you're sitting and watching england don't you Why? Well, i mean
0: have to be anderson he's a big cuddly bear isn't he
1: he is but I think a David De Gea teddy bear would be pretty awesome like big furry beard lovely anderson's
0: instagram interesting a series of pictures about food as you'd expect he instagrammed a picture of a fancy dinner out in dubai or wherever he was and he said thousand pounds this
1: s-h-i-t i I go mcdonald's (laughs) that was like awesome and then i think he did then instagram a picture of mcdonald's afterwards maybe not though (laughs) the boy he likes his grub doesn't he i'm not i can't speak about that sort of thing he's got a problem i think for a professional footballer this is completely apropos of nothing, but a question like this will never be ignored by me. Uh, at Brandon Ulrich2, just ask the simple question, talk more about Cantonar, memories, whatever. Just more King Eric will make anything better. So uh, he then goes on to ask, what's your the the, the favourite Cantonar performance you ever saw in person, and, and what did it mean to you, Ed?
0: Oh my God, there are so many. So I I've seen... Most of Eric's performances in person, I think. time of my life where I saw way too much football.
1: That was your, I'm going to forego an academic education for a bit and just travel around the country following United around. So, I mean, many, many,
0: the the game in which he won it for United against Arsenal, scored from some distance. uh, His debut against Leeds, was it his debut? Uh, Certainly one of his early games uh, away at Leeds where there were 10,000 of us in the Leeds end, raining down aeroplanes. Which was rather tasteless of us, onto the Leeds fans, uh, you know, and uh, just to make fun of their aeroplane signs. I think
1: they were they were paper aeroplanes from the back of Red Issue, which had Eric's face and thank you written on them
0: totally random this one because of course there's no Eric connection this week how, how we haven't seen Eric around for a while have we
1: there's there's one really important Eric connection this week which is that my favourite poet in the whole world, I didn't used to have a favourite poet but I have now, at Okwonga on Twitter, Musa Okwonga, big United fan, uh, wrote a poem for seven Cantona's called Cantona's Collar which is easily without question the best poem about Eric Cantona's collar you're ever going to read, R- literally brought tears to my eyes so you've, you've got to go and check that out folks, my, my favourite Cantona memory I I talk about this from time to time I wasn't even watching the match on TV that's how weird it is that this is particularly my favourite one but I was in the house I lived as a student my first year at university we were playing QPR we were 1-0 down with something like two minutes left and this was when we were like tightly running neck and neck with Arsenal to try and win the league and I just was like do you know what it's alright it's fine Cantona's gonna score and then that, that old final score ticker Printer. came through latest QPR one, Manchester United one, brackets Cantona he just never let us down apart from that time when he flying kicked a fan and was out for nine months apart from that he never let us down don't need an excuse for a random Cantona section I guess Never. Let's move on then to something a little more timely. Two matches to come in the week ahead. Home tie against Wigan which you'd think would be routine apart from how we don't seem to have routine fixtures anymore. Yeah. It's got to be routine hasn't it? I mean we can't
0: routinely beat Wigan at at home because it's Old Trafford and we always beat Wigan at Old Trafford then what can we do so yes I'm, I'm expecting a, a thoroughly good victory uh, in which United shut up shop and defend no I mean actually defend properly this time and then uh,
1: score a few goals uh, yeah, that'd be nice. No idea, no earthly idea what the team lineup's going to be. There's lots of talk about Bootner getting a game, especially with Ever having played twice in a week, but then Bootner got himself a little injury. Well, he played for reserves the other day, so yeah, apparently so.
0: And is and, uh, fit and, and going and playing all right. So there's no reason to drop him just yet, I don't think so. I, I can't no. see that. Of course, this is the kind of game you might rotate, but so early in the season, uh, I wouldn't have thought so. And given that the Galatasaray game that follows in midweek is at home as well then uh, i I don't think there's a real incentive to to make a lot of changes just yet of course the week after is liverpool and that's a big one if for the rivalry and and not the league table there's that consideration but given given the two games coming up are both at home i don't think ferguson will be tempted to make
1: too many changes He's, he doesn't need a lot of temptation, though, to make a few changes. He does an awful lot of a little change or two. But there's a couple of enforced changes, probably. I mean, I guess it would be surprising to see RVP start. Quite fancy a bit of uh, Welbeck and Cheech up front together. Wouldn't, wouldn't mind seeing that. It's been a while. Yeah, it
0: depends on the Kigawa situation, doesn't it? And uh, we might well see that if, if Kagawa isn't quite fit and uh, they don't risk RVP. I, I don't like that acronym. Van Persie. He, he was RVP at Arsenal. He's Van Persie now. He, he deserves a bit more respect than that.
1: I think he's ORVP now, isn't he? That's the like official line cuz it's it's Oh Robin Van Persie Okay That's how the song goes Yes that's, that's Yeah That's what I was going Anyway The Wigan and Galatasaray games Obviously there'll be changes Between the two Because there just always are And this marks the start Of our Champions League campaign And it seems like An absolute lifetime ago Since we last played A Champions League fixture And we better hope We get three points in this one Because we really Can't afford any of the Complacency that crept Well not crept into But ran Smashing down doors And windows Straight into the middle Of our campaign Last, last time command.
0: Right, well Ferguson promised to play his strongest team, so let's find out whether he really does that one with Liverpool coming up afterwards and yeah, totally right, can't afford any complacency, really need to get the campaign off to the strongest possible start, Galatasaray away from Galatasaray I mean they are the Turkish champions so they have a good team at the moment but if, if United don't win this one at Old Trafford that's a, it's a serious problem, not that it's a particularly tough group.
1: Well no but I mean that really isn't the issue is it because we had the easiest group we've had for a very long time last go round and managed to chuck that up the swanee didn't we so you know and our our squad is still not exactly incredibly deep right and we are riven with injury problems at this stage of the season already so you know it's there's definitely a few issues and it's it's not going to be a formality to qualify from this group is there? no
0: totally right and and given that Ferguson made a hugely strategic error with his European squad and left out Bebe you've got to wonder about whether United can do it this year no
1: Talking of Bebe, it's time for here at the Rantcast for us to give away another shirt. I don't know what it is. I, I, it's like a shirt a week at the moment, I, isn't it? I've never owned a United shirt. Like, literally, I've never owned a United shirt in my life. Kind of sad about, really, because I'd quite like laces with Canton R 7 on the back, you know. But I, I would like to have owned one of them.
0: I, I have owned many, but I have not bought one since 1999. Fact. You just kind of grow out of it, don't you? you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I did.
1: Well, I mean, you know, in the last five years, it's taken a whole different complexion, hasn't it? And, and, you know, also for me, it's like not immaterial that there's a name of a blinking insurance company on the front of that thing because like advertising sharp i never really felt that bad about you know it's like they're, they're an all right company they make i don't know calculators and stuff that's fine and there's that brilliant picture from the 80s that team photo of us all standing there with sharp electronics on the shirts and and microwaves on the pitch in front of us but you know so, like i don't i really really do not want to walk around advertising aeon who are a really bad company you know allegedly before we get- get
0: sued the hell out of her by a massive evil global corporation.
1: <laughs> I am standing by the idea that there are no ethical insurance companies in the world. Uh, insurance is a terrible industry designed to kind of very it like slowly steal from as many people as possible. Like it steal a tiny bit off everyone because it's it's like maths, right? And that's
0: well, at least it is fair. It's, you know, it's socialist capitalism. <laughs> you know, they they are spreading the evil around. And anyway, fair enough, fair enough. So also, also also, the
1: the gingham, right? I don't know what it is. Like I'm, I am the flame to the moth that is gingham shirts. Just keep arriving through my front door. That's two in the space of a month. This one had skulls twenty two on the back of it. It comes in XL. It's a home kit, unfortunately. But if you want a skullsy twenty two home kit, this one is not a knockoff either. By the way, this is not Hong Kong's finest Bebe Seven shirt. It's an actual factual Man United shirt.
0: Can I, can I interject, please? Can I, please? Can I? Not Hong Kong, Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and skulls skulls 22 is all wrong it's all wrong you know it's factually and morally wrong so we'll give you permission if if whoever wins this shirt to get a biro out and write an eight and a one on there
1: i don't mind i like kind of have this affection for skulls 22. there's there's something about it, it represents this like last phase in his career where he's become this really different figure and i don't know i i, I don't mind it the, the, the skulls 22 i don't i don't have the the negative feelings towards that number particularly if you
0: add the 18 and the 22 together you get the number of years Scholes has actually been playing for United
1: exactly that is exactly right 22 is like the number of league titles he's won right
0: amazing it's like something out of the Da Vinci Code
1: (laughs) it is Yeah, it really is, like, exactly like something out of the Da Vinci Code. Um, so, if you want to win this, what you need to do is you need to use the hashtag RantCast, and you do have to use that for your entry to be valid, not because I'm, like, obnoxiously trying to promote the podcast, just because I can't find it in my mentions a week later, So, but I can find it with the hashtag, so please use the hashtag RantCast. And just, obviously, the gingham shirt is not fit for humans to wear. We, we all know that's the case. What is the most creative use you can come up with for gingham shirt in 140 characters and i just say now picnic blankets tablecloths and what's the other one tea towels tea cozies yeah they're not gonna win shame you said you knocked out tea cozies because i might have considered tea cozies mm. but tea towel picnic blanket all right looks like
0: i'm in in the running for this shirt then
1: <laughs> do you want it what about kilts <laughs> yeah kilts are, that stop taking listeners potential ideas ed so yeah use use use, Sporans. The, use the, <laughs> use the hashtag rantcast to just send the word spurring at me and you'll definitely win the shirt no you won't but like it, it randomly me and Ed will just decide which one makes us laugh the most this time next week when we record the podcast so get your entries in by midnight Tuesday BST next week
0: very good good luck to him. ever wins and we'd like
1: to see a picture of you in this skull shirt international competition Rio Ferdinand style and with that rambling on and on and on we come to the end of this week's podcast but we're not going without a prediction Ed what are the uh, results going to be against Wigan and Galatasaray.
0: I have a feeling, yeah, I don't know why, I don't know why, I think United are going to kill it this week. So I'm going for United 5, Wigan 0, and United 3, Galatasaray (laughs) 1.
1: Right, okay everyone, don't put United winning on your accumulators this week. I'm going to go for a 2-0 win against Wigan, and a horrible untidy 2-1 Nick in a win in the last moments against Galatasaray.
0: Very good, or or not, I I like my predictions more than yours.
1: I I like yours more than mine. You're just so
0: negative, that's your problem. Yeah,
1: that's right, isn't it? Talking of negativity, the internet is where you can find me and Ed. You can find me on Twitter at UTDRantcast. You can find Ed at UnitedRant. We really love it when people write nice reviews of us on iTunes. And should you feel so inclined to help cover the postage of the International Skulls Competition, you can, and also like bandwidth and equipment and the things we actually spend money on for the show, you can hit us up at unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. And also like United Rant on Facebook. Some people do. (laughs) Apparently so. Uh, And with that, we'll be back this time next week. Looking forward to it. See you then.